Right, you guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, today, as we start things off, we, we're in a series called The Story, and this week is called The Messengers. And The Messengers, the prophets of God, here's, here's how I might modernize the thing. These are the ones who provide the warning signs. These are the ones who, who let you know what you already should know. And, and warning signs, you know, are written for people who did something that is, is dumb enough that it necessitates, okay, people need to be informed. They need a sign that tells them not to do this. I brought a couple examples of warning signs or warning labels that were added to products or environments that seem, it's like, we shouldn't need this warning sign, but here, here's the fir- first one. On strollers, you'll find the warning sign, remove child before folding. Now, I understand that that would greatly expedite your process of getting into the car, and it would make the car ride a lot quieter, but you take the child out of the car seat. The next one, once used recti- rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. I would hope that would be common sense, but that's also why you don't buy a thermometer from a garage sale. But it, it's one of these things, like, you should know. All right, I better get away from that one quick before I get an email about it. Um, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. You'll find that in there in the, the notes at, at Home Depot. I think that dentist was probably testing out the nitrous, if he ever even considered that. Um, on to the next one. Uh, not intended for highway use. On, on to the next one. May, uh, this was on, a, on pet medication, on a dog's medication. May cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. My dogs have been slacking. I, I don't know if someone was intending on their dog driving them back from the vet. And in the last one, if ever there was one that had Florida man potential, it's this one. Never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level on your jet ski. I don't know what happened. It was half full, and then it was all the way empty, and I was in the hospital. Uh, Warning signs, (laughs) for the most part, it it seems like that shouldn't be necessary. But if we go through our history, we know that there's been times where we needed someone to speak into a situation, and we knew the right answer. Like, we knew that what we were doing was dumb, but we needed that person that would step in and say, hey, this is going to destroy you. This is going to be destructive. This is going to have negative consequences. You need to wake up to the reality of what you're doing to your life, to your marriage, to your family, to your career. You need to wake up to it. And we've needed that warning sign. And in the overarching story of Scripture, it's, we're looking at two things as we go through this series. We're going to the lower story, which is what happens in an individual's life, like in the prophet Elijah that we're going to look at today. But we're also looking at the overall narrative that God is writing. And from the, the beginning, what God wanted for us was to be in the garden, to have everything that we needed. And we rejected that. We sinned against God. And, and God is loving and he redeemed and he set up his people in a whole land. And he said, as long as you follow me and you don't turn towards the Baals and, and the Ammonites gods, then I will provide everything you need for this land. And you will be blessed and you will be fruitful and you will have an abundance. But then the people started turning towards the bales. And last week we talked about a nation that was beginning to tear in two. And at this point, the nation of Israel, which is composed of 12 tribes, has separated into the southern kingdom of Judah, which is the the, the two tribes of, of Benjamin and Judah. And the other 10 tribes are referred to as Israel at this point. And Israel has set up golden calves to worship, and they're, they're led by a king named, named Ahab, who was evil beyond all the other kings. And that's where we kind of pick up today, where Israel, the 10 
Other tribes of Israel are, are beginning to go further and further and further away from God and his will for them. And, and we're going to pick up in first to, to tell you a little bit about Ahab, the way that scripture describes him in 1 Kings 21, verses 25 through 26. We'll put this on the screen. This is the description of who Ahab, the king of Israel, the 10 tribes in the northern kingdom. It says that he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. So the leadership that they have in the nation right now, he is the worst of the worst. As you scroll through the pages of scripture, you're gonna see that Ahab and Jezebel did more destructive things than the, than the other kings. And this Northern kingdom is going further and further away. And so the prophets of God were often put to death by them. The people who would stand up for the truth of the God of Israel would be persecuted and put to death. They'd have to go into hiding in caves. And the worship of Baal, it would involve grotesque things of sexual immorality as well as child and human sacrifice. But it was done with the mindset that as we do this, we will receive greater prosperity. We will receive greater return in our crops. We will receive greater happiness on earth if we, if we just worship Baal and we appease him. And you know what? We can also sprinkle some of our worship into the God of our ancestors as well. And we'll just mix them together. And this is one of the major lessons that we take from the Northern Kingdom. God is a jealous God for your heart. He is a jealous God because when we turn towards these other things in pursuit of success and happiness and joy, the end result is destruction in our life, in our family, in our career, in the things that he would want to bless us with on earth as well as when you reach the end of your life, as you reach the point of judgment one day before you stand, when you stand before God, Revelations describes it as he'll, he'll spit the lukewarm out of his mouth. The people who tried to be on both sides of the fence. Jesus describes the day of judgment and says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. And that same message that we see in the gospels that we see in Revelation, the very end of the Bible, we see that same message here throughout the time of the prophets. That the prophets were saying, you know, it, stop wavering between the two. Pick who you will, whom you will serve. In the, time, in the time where Israel was on the way to the promised land, there was that question of, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And God, throughout generations, has been grabbing his people as if to just shake them by the shoulders and say, who is your life going to be about? And that same message, I believe, rings true for our people. And so this is what the prophets did. The prophets were the ones who were on earth speaking that truth to people. And so when Israel would fall into idolatry or they would fall into social injustice and they wouldn't care for the widow and they wouldn't care for the foreigner among them, the prophets would be sent to speak and to warn Israel, you're moving away from God. 
Or even when they moved into, they were very religiously busy, but their heart wasn't God's. One of my favorite Old Testament passages is where God says, I hate all of your festivals and I hate all of your songs because though you honor me with your lips, your hearts are far from me. God's intention throughout the ages isn't just blind obedience, but it's the question is, is your heart wholly his? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro the earth for a heart that is wholly Lord's, the Lord's that he may make it strong. And so the role of the the prophets were to do that, to to go and call people back to repentance. And this is what would happen. They would bring the message when there was that kind of idolatry or the falling away from God in actions or falling into just religious duties. The the prophets would come and give them a wake-up call and either repentance would happen and people would turn their hearts back to God or the, the judgment and the punishment would arrive upon God's people just like God said it would before they ever even got to that day. And, and it's, it's one of those questions that pops in my mind of why does God's judgment have to come? I wanna tell you, it's like physics. It's a natural principle of this earth that when we live apart from God, we are gonna miss out on the blessings that come with, with living for God. We, we invite that correction into our life when we are living in a way that we know does not honor God. And I wanna tell you that if you read the, this week's chapter from the story, I could give you an eight week series on just this chapter. And it hurts my heart to have to skip over things like Elijah. I mean, there's just so much good stuff in this chapter, but we're just gonna get a glimpse at Elijah with the time that we have today because we get to celebrate some people getting baptized today. So I apologize, I can't give this the time that it deserves. We're gonna look at Elijah chapter 17, verse one, and we'll put this up on the screen. It said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, this is Elijah speaking, and he was speaking to King Ahab, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now this, apart from a very close relationship with God where you heard him tell you to say this, this would be an incredibly arrogant and dangerous thing to say, but I want you to know who he was saying this to. He was saying this to King Ahab, all right? Ahab and Jezebel, they were dangerous and they were evil, and they hated the prophets of God, and Elijah was the one to go up and say, apart from when I give the word, it's not gonna rain here for years. Just as a side note, after he said this, he went into hiding for about three years. But I wanna make sure that you catch the context properly, because at this day and time, for him to say it's not going to rain for years, that's like saying, just so you know, Until I give the word, the stock market is going to crash. Buying toilet paper at Publix is going to be like buying it during the pandemic. Buying water is going to be like buying it before two days before a hurricane. Everything is going to be gone. There is going to be nothing available. Life is going to be difficult because of the way that they're living. But the way that Israel would interpret that is that the problem was the prophet. The problem wasn't with himself. I wanna, with as much kindness as I can, I wanna push on you a little bit because I've seen this happen uh, in, in my life before where someone will come into my life and they'll say, hey, Paul, this area, this behavior, this needs to change. Be like, you're a jerk, you need to change. It's like, no, 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 this is what the word of God says, Paul. You need to bring your life into line with what the word of God teaches. Well, you know what the... Word also says, no one can judge me, right? 
We're not supposed to judge lest we be judged. Actually, Scripture says that Christians are supposed to judge each other. They're supposed to correct each other. They're supposed to spur one another on towards work and good deeds. Do you remember what it means to spur a horse? You're supposed to spur each other. I understand it's going to hurt a little bit when somebody corrects you, but we often like to, like to attack the messenger instead of the one who sent the message. But when the message is true, we shouldn't be fighting with the messenger. We should be fighting with the flesh that is bringing our life out of line with the word of God. And maybe you've had someone speak into your life and say, hey, this needs to change. And you're like, well, I'm just going to delete you out of my phone. And with as much love as I can possibly say, that's an immature reaction. Because the people who will actually correct you in your life, those are rare. The people who won't just tell you what you want to hear, those are the people that you need. And rather than pushing someone away because you're holding on to something you know that you shouldn't, you should heed the godly wisdom. You should invite it into your life. It's going to help you even if it hurts, even if it feels like you've been spurred. And so Elijah, he brings this news to Ahab and he goes into hiding and, and, and everything is desolate. He, he has this feeling that he's the only one left, the only one living for God that's left. And, and that is not true. God has other prophets, but, but God then sends Elijah back after this time period of drought and he sends him back to the king and he brings this incredible challenge to Ahab. And as he approaches the king, Ahab calls him the troublemaker of Israel. Because, right, the messenger, it's the problems of the messenger, not the person who sent the message, calls him the troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah, dude is sassy. Like, dude's got some attitude. You're going to see it in a minute. But he says, no, it's you in the way that you guys are leading. It's your leadership that's causing trouble for Israel. And he, and he gives this incredible challenge. In chapter 18, no, I'm sorry, we're going to wait for that. Um, but he gives this incredible challenge. I'm just going to summarize the challenge that he gave. He said, you get all of your prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, and you meet me up at Mount Carmel, and we're going to find out whose God is real. I mean, this is a crazy thing. He says, we're going to make two sacrifices, and you guys will pick your animal, and you'll set it up, and all 450 of you, you do your worship, and whoever's God is the real God is going to send fire down from heaven and light the sacrifice. 450 of you versus one of me. And we'll see whose God is real. Let's put it to the test. Sounds like a good show. Ahab gets his people ready. And, and, and so they go and they have the sacrifice. And, and, and they begin to, to set things up. And this, this is where it gets really interesting to me. Because we get to see some of, some of Elijah's personality come out. I'm going to skip down to, to the next slide where as the prophets of Baal are worshiping and they have the altar and they're trying to call down the fire, it says they started in the morning and they went all the way through lunch. And, and then Elijah says this to them as nothing's happening. He says, shout louder, he said, surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now you have to have some guts to be in front of 450 other people and be the one person who disagrees with everybody and begin mocking them. Now, their worship, it was passionate. 
They were dancing and they were singing. It was so intense that they began cutting themselves with blades, drawing their own blood, begging Baal to send fire from heaven. And Elijah starts to ridicule them. Now, some of your translations, depending on which one you're, you're reading, it's interesting. The word traveling gets translated differently because literally the word in the Hebrew is traveling, but there, it was a common euphemism for traveling because it was far too rude to say, maybe he ate three meals from Taco Bell last night and he stuck on the toilet because that was the intention of what was being said. Some of your translations will say, maybe he's using the bathroom. And it's saying, maybe he's disposed and, and you're calling out to him and he hears you, but he just can't get to you right now because he has a really bad upset tummy. Elijah is ridiculing them as they're bringing their worship. And so in verse 27, it goes on and it says, so they shouted the louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It's what 1 Kings 18 says. All right, so I, I get it. Like, you haven't been sacrificing things to Baal. I get it. Like, you haven't been hanging out at the Asherah poles. I, I get that you haven't been saying prayers to Moloch, the, the god of the Ammonites. Like, I get that. But have you been living this life following the advice that society gives you that you know is in contrast to what the word of the Lord teaches you. I'm not going to get into um, politics or media people too much, but there, there was someone in our, in our culture and time who just got in major trouble because he compared the way that we abort children to the child sacrifice of old. And I, I'll just tell you this much. There's nothing new under the sun. sacrificing the best of our life to things that we know don't matter in eternity, giving all of our heart's affection and our mind's attention to things that have no value, but they're actually destructive in marriages and families. We have plenty in common with these people of Israel that Elijah asked them in 1 Kings 18, 21. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? This is Elijah not speaking to the prophets, but he was speaking to the, the people. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing at this point. They were just silent because they had been on the fence and they wanted to see the results maybe. But I want to tell you, there's a feeling of being on the fence, but I want to make sure you have clarity. It, it, there, there's no fence with God. You're either with him and you're in and you're trying and you're striving. And this is why we call God the perfect judge, because you might say, well, Paul, I, I think I'm trying, but I'm failing. God knows your heart. He's the perfect judge. He knows if you're chasing after him. 
There are people who might still have addiction in their life, but their heart is chasing after God and they're on their way out of it. But the outward eyes would say, what business do you have in church living like that? God's the perfect judge. He sees some people look plenty put together in church on a Sunday morning, but their heart is so far from God. And God is the perfect judge and he sees. There, there is no fence. You're either chasing after him and he knows that or you are falling away from him and he knows that. And the role of the prophet, the role of the messengers of God was to remind the people, stir up the passion, stop wavering, live for him. And so the time for the evening sacrifice arrived. And put 1 Kings 18, 30 through 31 on the screen for me. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had, had come saying, your name shall be Israel. I want to pause there for a minute because Elijah was most likely favored towards the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom, the land of Judah, the land of Israel was the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes that had fallen away. But do you notice what he did? He, he brought 12 stones for each of them to remind them that we're all supposed to be one family together. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. He reminded them of their history of how God had worked through their forefather, Jacob, saying that we should be one nation. He repaired the place of worship. He, he brought them all in together and then go to 1836 and Elijah prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you are Lord, that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up all of the water in the trench. He had poured water all over his offering so that people would know it wasn't by chance that it caught on fire. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The, there's so many important elements in this, but I'm gonna just kind of touch on a couple of them. The goal of the miracle, the goal of the challenge, the goal of the sign, did you see it in there? So that the people would know that you're turning their hearts back again. I wanna remind you of the character of God, behaviors. He calls us out of sin and he calls us out of destructive behaviors. And not just as a disciplinarian, but as a loving father. It says, I want your heart to return. I want you to get back where you need to be. And God will go through tremendous lengths to bring you back into the fold. He loved you so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on a cross so that whoever would believe would not perish but would have eternal life. He'd go to those lengths. He'd go to the lengths of sending a friend to shake you on the shoulder and say, you've got to get back on the right path. He'll go through the lengths of sending signs in your life. But make no mistake, 
the goal of all of those wake-up calls is not just that you would know that God is there, but that you would begin to live for him. Because the calling throughout Scripture isn't just about knowing, but it's about living for him. I got to have some great conversations with some people from our church. We're baptizing five people and five of the other people that want to get baptized. We're going to go on June 11th. But one of the passages that I always talk with them about is Mark chapter 16, verse 16. It's an interesting passage that just very clearly says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. And it can be a confusing passage because some people say, well, does that mean baptism is required for, for salvation? No, that's not what it means. But from the the authors of the gospel and those in the early church, it was just expected that if you believed, then of course you obeyed. Scripture also defines it, it says, those who love me, those Jesus speaking, those who love me follow my commands. There's just this intention, this obvious nature. It's like a warning sign that just seems unnecessary. This says, those who love me follow my commands because how could you say you love him when you don't live for him at all? And so here's the calling, here's the reminder, here's the prophetic voice that would shake, you, shake your shoulders and say, wake up, get after it. There's more to this life than just the pleasures of the flesh. And so for those being baptized, I said, it's just obvious that if you believe, then the next step is to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19, it gives the, the great commandment to the church. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That baptism is for all. Even Jesus himself submitted himself to baptism because the way that we live matters in the eyes of God. And if you've been going through this life and there's part of your heart that just feels like things are never right, things are always darker, things are always more depressed than they should be, things are always more difficult, then one of the questions that I would have for you is, do you feel like you're chasing after God in the way that you live your life? Do you feel like you are more concerned about what he wants than what other people want? Because there's part of you that is always going to feel off until you put God in his rightful place in your life. So Elijah, he, he's calling the people back and then they have this incredible experience in this incredible moment where they cry out, Lord, Lord. But I want to tell you, for many of them who cried out, Lord, Lord, they had a moment with God and they went right back to their destructive behaviors because this was a point that could have turned Israel back to the Lord, back to a land of blessing, but they went right back to the Baals again. And so it often is with so many people. They will have an explosive, amazing moment with God, but then they'll fall right back into those same behaviors. And church, I, this is not a heavy burden for your shoulders, but this is a reminder for you. Live in freedom. Live in joy. Live in the will of God. Live in the experience where you use the gifts that he's put inside of you for other people. Because as you are serving and loving other people, it's going to continue to fill your cup with more and more joy. This is that warning sign that just seems so obvious, but you're going to have more joy. You're going to have more love. You're going to have more peace. You're going to have more of the fruits in the, of the Spirit in your life when you live for Him. So if you've been going in the wrong direction, come on home. And if you've been following Jesus for years and years and you've been putting off baptism, it is just 
It's an obvious step of obedience. And this is, it's kind of a strange Sunday because we're doing baptism and communion in the same Sunday. But there, it's, it's so connected because communion, it's a picture of the gospel. The bread and the cup, it's, it's his body that, that was crucified and put to death for us so that we would have new life. Baptism, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, gives a great simple explanation for it. Uh, first of all, the word baptism means to submerge. And so when we baptize, we bring you all the way underwater. Re- the reason we do that is what the word means, but it's also Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 says, At, as you were buried in baptism with Christ. Now, baptism, as you go under the water, it's the picture of how Christ entered the grave, that he was completely enveloped in the grave. But he did not stay there. He rose out of the grave to new life. And baptism is the picture of saying, I am dying to my old life. It's entering the grave and I'm rising up out of it to a new life. And that's the picture of baptism. And it's for anyone who would say, I have placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've been putting that step off, I'd encourage you. uh, We're going to do baptisms June 11th is the next date. And I'd love to talk with you, make sure you understand it, make sure you understand what a relationship with God is and then get to walk alongside you as you make this decision. Uh, we have a small introduction video that we're gonna play uh, to introduce you to the baptism candidates. And then we're gonna go outside and to the left in just a minute and we're gonna, we're gonna get to celebrate with some other people as they're making this choice. But if you know that this is a step you need to take, then let somebody know today. And we're going to rejoice with you because the character of your heavenly father is, is turning the hearts back to him. And so there's no fear in leaving the mistakes behind when there's only joy ahead. Let's watch these videos together. And today I'm going to be getting baptized. It wasn't until about four or five months ago that I was brought to Gulfside Church. And um, I've always had a connection to get closer to God and to have a relationship and to be a part of a church and up until then I wasn't really um, being active in making those steps so I feel like this will be a good um, place to start and to solidify that I want to have that relationship and um, to see where that journey takes me. Hi my name is Judith and I'm nine years old. And what I want to get baptized is because I accepted Jesus into my heart, soul, and I want everybody to know that he is my savior. Hi, my name is Josiah, and I'm nine years old. And the reason I want to get baptized is because I accepted Jesus as my Lord and savior, and I want people to know about it. I love Jesus. Hi, my name is Carter Arsamat, and I'm choosing to get baptized today because I want to follow the ways of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to start this journey. My name is Arlen Cagliotti, and I am choosing to get baptized today because I am 100% ready to make a public statement in front of everyone here today that I am a child of God and so ready and excited to progress further into my faith and progress further into Gulfside Churches, my home church, and just so very thankful for everything that everyone has done and so thankful for the grace that I'm given. Check. Can we give a hand to those people that are about to be baptized? Man, we're so proud of you for making uh, the decision to publicly show the inward transformation in your life. And 
I'm just so excited to see you guys be baptized. Now, uh, we're, going, we're going to dismiss for baptisms, but we're going to do it a bit differently this time. Uh, in the past, we just brought everyone out, but uh, we're going to actually dismiss uh, parents first that have kids in kids ministry. So if you are a parent and you have a child in kids ministry, you can walk through that door, pick up your kid, and then we're going to be right over to the left, right outside the sanctuary. You can just head on out right now. Everyone else, we can just sit, enjoy the time, have a moment. All righty. And if you do not have a, a child in kids ministry or you're still in this room, uh, we're just going to ask you to be dismissed now. You're going to go directly out through these doors and take a left and right out through the next double doors. You're going to see a pool right there. We'll see you guys in a second.